Old mattresses and floors chilled in the cool late December morning. For those for whom school remains a dream, today feels as any other. Such little girls might stir because their hunger demands it. Such small boys get up to play in the streets because they have nothing else to do. It is light now, and the sun's beams infiltrate around cracks and corners to expose what is hidden. People plaiting hair, milling about, hopping on top-top trucks to reach work, fetching water to bathe, all cycles that have no beginning and no end. But away from this, there are signs of a brazen act that defies the life that goes on all around. If instead of rousing your children and wiping the sleep from your eyes, you were to follow the small waterway that divides Boisnef and Wharf Jeremy, you might spy something out of place among the sickly grass and garbage. If you weren't too busy buying your daily bread and greeting your neighbor along Route 9, you could barely make out what appears to be the crumpled form of a person. A woman, dark-skinned and young. And if you could spare the time to look more closely, in the woman's arms you would see clutched a small baby, a pale sorrel color, and beautiful. At some unnoticed moment while the world was waking, this mother and child breathed their last. Both are dead. Both are victims. And if this sight were not enough to make you flee, if you lingered to watch, not long from now you would see a pretty girl and an ugly boy come upon them. And from that moment on, these children, like you, will be made victims too. The girl carries a small black plastic bag in her hand. The boy has a burlap sack four times his width and brimming with bottles. They cross an open expanse of mud and knee-high grass, home to none but swine and seabirds. She runs up a mound to scout the messy terrain ahead. Hurry up, she calls. We'll never find enough gold if I have to wait for you to catch up. He buckles under the weight of his sack. This is too heavy for me alone. I need your help. You don't have a single thing in your bag. He was sweating, even though the sun was still low. The girl turned around and the strap of her light-fitting sky-blue dress slipped. These were hardly the clothes to scavenge for beer bottles and soda cans. The boy was better outfitted for the task, shirtless, typical of young boys, and shoeless, typical of poor boys. His denim shorts, cinched with a cord around the waist, reached down past his knees. His bare feet and ankles were already caked in mud. His naturally sweet face turned to a scowl. You forget that I, my friend, am the boss of this expedition. You are merely my assistant. The boy heaved and dropped his sack. It made a large plop as it landed in the mud, the bottles clanking. This is stupid, Liberté. You're no boss and I'm no assistant. The girl left her mound, still scowling. What a mess you're making. I am not touching that bag. Look at all the mud on it. That's going to ruin my dress. I can't even touch it. No, Jacques, 
You're only wearing rags. It doesn't matter if they get any dirtier. He shook his head. But that's not fair. Venice is no part of it. We need this gold if we're going to buy our ship. You mean we need bottles, and we aren't buying any ship. I mean gold, and we are buying a ship. A fine one, with big sails, to get away from here, back home, back to La Gonave. Don't spoil our fun. Well, I don't want any. You don't want any what? Fun. Liberté's face tightened as she stared down at Chuck. She stood a full head taller than the skeleton of a boy. Though both were the same age, ten, he looked half that, while she looked a year older. Is usually more agreeable.